Welcome to Lame Stream here on the 440 Sports Network. My name is Braden Gall. You can follow me on Twitter at Braden Gall. My name is Steve Cavendish. You can follow me on Twitter at Scavendish. If you like this show, you can rate it. You can review it. You can even subscribe to it. By God, you should. And you should tell somebody else that you like listening to Lame Stream Sports, and they should too. Uh, the art of covering a coaching search and the subsequent announcement press conference with John Talty today on the show from AL.com. AL.com, Paul. Well, and it's only .com moving forward. And of course, Steve, you had to bring up the fact that all of John's work will no longer be read in print anymore. So that was a part of the conversation as well. But we focused exclusively on Hugh Freeze covering the coaching search at Auburn. Uh, if you're going to pick a coaching search to cover, it might as well be Auburn's. Uh, and of might course, as well get, be the the craziest one. I mean, and, just and, just <laughs> just just peg it out there now. And, and the uh, whatever the heck you want to call that introductory press conference performance by uh, or pep rally, if you'd rather call it that, uh, when they announced Hugh Freeze, sort of the questions, the job the media did, the role Auburn played, uh, all different types of angles from John Talty, who's one of the better reporters in the Southeast, covering the SEC, certainly covering Alabama. Uh, great author. Check out the book, of course, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. So uh, all kinds of fun stuff today on the show. We'll get to you the most watched college football games in Nashville. We have all the regular season data. We've collected it. We've put it all together in a fancy spreadsheet, and we'll get you the, the, the highest rated games. And an interesting note, the highest rated Titans game just took place this weekend. Where does that rank among all college games? Normally, Every Titans game blows away every college game. That is not the case this year. So we'll get to that a little bit later on in the pod as well. So lots of fun stuff, uh, Steve. However, before we do any of that, Lamestream Sports is a podcast about national sports media and business. Rate, review, subscribe. And it is brought to you by Jaspers and a very mouthy beagle who is going to show up on this podcast no matter <laughs> how much I try to tell him to shut the hell up. So this is perfect synergy here, Steve. I don't think you know this, but the National Predators, great partner of Jaspers, if you're going to go to Watch a Preds game. Go to Jasper's, of course. You can get $10 smash burgers, $3 beers. They're, they have a winning record at the time of taping. They may not have a winning record when you listen to this, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> they have a winning record at time of taping. And if you watch the game on Tuesday night, go to Jasper's. Probably a, a great place to watch the game on Tuesday night. You would not have been bothered by a loud barking dog inside of Bridgestone Arena on Tuesday night. So this is why you go to Jasper's. You listen to lame stream. You probably get a, if you go to a Preds game, you're gonna get a barking dog. It's just part of the. It's part of the job now. It's part of the gig. It and he will not shut the hell up. Uh, Did you see the dog on Tuesday night? I, I saw. I, I saw. I saw a very brief <laughs> clip of the dog on just, Tuesday night. I thought that was fantastic. Loud barking, beagle style, loud barking in Bridgestone Arena throughout the course of the game, like in row number two. Awesome stuff. Uh, and if you want a great place to watch Preds games. Jasper's is your spot. Free parking, great specials. So it's the great. It's it's the best way to watch a game. You cannot beat that special. You absolutely cannot beat it. No, you cannot. Now I will say this. Normally, I would tell you, as a patriot and a supporter of this great nation and this great democracy, that Tyler Adams suggests is still making progress. And as long as you're still making progress, see there you go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> thank you for the support. Um, you cannot watch. I don't believe you can watch, depending on when you're listening to this, at 8. I don't think you can go drink beer at Jasper's at 8 a.m. on a Saturday. I don't think you can. On a Saturday. I don't I don't think you can. Or any um, day, for been, that matter. We've, we've been we've been, uh, we've been fortunate with a set of 1 p.m. games here in the group stage. Uh, I partook of um, I partook of the Wales game with some friends at the uh, uh, over in the uh, 
what we I guess what we call the Clemson area. It's whatever the the Clemson uh, the Clemson uh, uh, alumni association or whatever else has mm. hung their flag over, kind of in that corner. <laughs> I guess they get I guess they get together for games over there, um, and it was great. I mean, just it was just it was yeah. just a great experience. You know, two two plus hours of two plus hours of World Cup plus uh, just some of the best food that you can imagine. Just just coming to us, just kind of just kind of constantly. We just did a parade of apps for. Nice. Nice. Uh, for several hours it was awesome so uh go to jaspers everybody uh we will have every single college football regular season game the top 15 most watched games of 2022 in the city of nashville the tv ratings are out i've i've collected the data we'll get to that a little bit later on uh, i do believe that the england match across all platforms was like the most watched world cup game in united states history I it think. was it was. Uh, like, it beat. Like, it beat the. Uh, it beat the. The Algeria game from 2010, which was yeah. the previous high. Uh, which is the Landon Donovan scores. Yes. Everyone goes next go, game. Go, yeah, go 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 USA. Um. So, John Talty, brilliant job explaining, sort of what it's like to be on the beat covering a, a coaching search in the SEC, in particular at a crazy place like Auburn, where you get your information from, what you can trust, and then of course the job that, that both the press and the Auburn power structure did at the press conference what is the role of the press conference the only question i have for you steve before we get to john because he was great as usual uh is it like he was not asked about the direct messages if you do not understand he has been sliding up into everyone's dms basically for his entire career but he did it recently with the victim of sexual assault on liberty's campus who was involved in a lawsuit against liberty and how they handled the, the situation is the introductory pep rally press conference the right setting he was not asked about it he was asked a couple of tough questions and we'll get to why and how that all happened but is that the right setting if you're sitting there at that press conference covering auburn you need access to this guy is that the question you want to ask in that press conference is there another setting or is that the time to do it i think it's absolutely the time to do it because it is the most public on the record sort of space that he's on that he's going to have until you know until the games begin um he's they're not gonna they're not gonna host another kind of big press conference like this uh until next fall likely uh and, or you know media days this summer uh it, it's it, it's it's the chance to it's the chance to address the issue uh and and force him to address it in public and not and that kind of hem and haw behind the scenes. Yep. Uh, I'll get to recommendations. I think there's only one piece you need to read from a recommendation standpoint, at least until Stephen Godfrey's uh, documentary movie comes out about Hugh Freeze. <laughs> um, but but uh, there's only one piece you need to read about, about Hugh Freeze. We'll get to that coming up a little bit later on. College football ratings as well. But without any further ado, our conversation with AL.com reporter John Talty. John, welcome to the show. Good to have you. How are you, sir? Doing well. I'm, I'm doing. I'm tired, but I'm doing well. <laughs> well, Auburn coaching searches will do that to everybody. It's that time of year, of course. So we want to talk about Hugh Freeze being hired at Auburn, the introductory press conference, sort of the art of the press conference, if you will, a variety of other topics. We'll also get to your book. If you have not checked it out, of course, uh, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban, make sure you check that out. John is a fantastic author. So let's start with the press conference in general, before we get into the weeds on what it's like to cover the craziest university in all of America searching for a coach, um, Hugh Freeze is introduced to the press. It was about 50 minutes long. There was a lot of applause lines. 
Um, it felt far more performative and celebratory than anything else I've ever seen. W- what did you make of the press conference and the job that both Auburn and the media did in introducing Hugh Freeze to the to the Auburn family, as it were? Yeah, there were a lot of family lines. Uh, he was leaning hard into the Auburn family uh, dynamic, which, you know, whether he was told to do that or not, he, it seemed to come very natural to him. I think the takeaway that I had as somebody who's covered uh, Hugh since he was at Ole Miss in you know 2012, I think it was. So I've seen his kind of full rise to power then fall. To me, it felt like basically the same guy. You know, I don't feel like a lot has changed. I know that was something that I feel like he was selling hard in the way he's changed and things like that. But, you know, it felt like, felt like Reverend Freeze up there. You know, it felt like he was preaching <laughs> at me at times. And it felt like the audience was eating it up. And I think that there was a real match between what we kind of know about that fan base and what they seem to like in coaches and what they didn't like in Brian Harson and how Hugh seems to fit a lot of those needs, not even talking about what he does on, on the football field, of course. And so uh, it was weird. I mean, those things are awkward, you know, they're, they're, they're meant to be, you know, an opportunity for people like us to, to talk to the coaches and things like that. But they're almost like a rally, a pep rally at this point. And so it's a, it's a very weird dynamic where, you know, you're there as a journalist trying to ask questions and you've got people either kind of cheering answers behind you or booing. And it's just, it's a whole weird thing. And, you know, I think you saw some of that play out in terms of the questions that were asked and, and the reactions to them. The Auburn fan base is, I, I mean, we'll just call them nuts uh, as <laughs> kind of a, is kind of a catch-all though there's there's different dimensions to it but the the interesting thing for me is, is the job that you guys have trying to navigate that and trying to trying to do your job trying to trying to suss out okay who is the harson uh, res- uh replacement going to be it took a lot of turns here it they were obviously locked in on kiffin for a while uh and and then it then it took this turn to freeze. Does does the does the craziness of the fan base uh, affect uh, that at, at all? Uh, I mean, does do you kind of lean into it? Do you is it is it an annoyance? How do you, what do you make of it? Well, I think first off, I think it can have an impact on the search and the type of candidates they have, I and mean, we've seen that play out in the past. Um, and I think people, you know, they want to, it comes up in conversations, you know, when I talk to agents and people like that, and they're kind of like, what's it like down there? What's the fan base like that the fan base has a certain kind of perception that I think people are trying to figure out how true that is um, as part of their decision-making. You know, I, I think what's interesting about this most recent one is that, you know, and ultimately didn't have an impact, but you, know, you had a kind of a movement happening on social media of these passionate fans that once it became clear that Wayne Kiffin was out and Hugh Freeze was was the top candidate, you know, this almost movement to stop Hugh Freeze from being hired. And you know, there are some specific things that you know we all know about Hugh Freeze's background, which we can get into, but that were used to try to slow it down. And ultimately it didn't change things. Um, and so that was kind of an interesting component of this one. It felt like there was a, you know, if it didn't work out, I think that's when things would have gotten crazy because I mean I don't think I'm alone in this. Like, I think from the get-go, when I when Brian Harson was fired, like the two people I said that it was probably going to be one or the other were Wayne Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. And I had information to back that up. But like, anybody really could have said that. Like, those were the guys. Like, it would make sense. They would hire Wayne Kiffin and Hugh Freeze. 
And they tried for Lane Kiffin. They thought they were getting Lane Kiffin. They did. They got Hugh Freeze. If Hugh Freeze didn't work out, the real big – where it would have gotten super weird would have been like, who's the next guy? And that's what happened the last time around with Brian Harson, where there were some obvious names. It didn't work out with those guys. And then it was like all kinds of wildness happening, and then Brian Harson kind of pops up. And so we were a day away, I think, from it getting really weird and, and like <laughs> there being a lot of confusion, but ultimately ended up being Freeze. Yes, because the Hugh Freeze press conference <clears throat> was not weird enough, of course. Uh, <laughs> he- heavy baby Billy vibes. If you know the reference, then you know what I'm talking about. Um, I, so in the press conference, they introduce him. John Cohen, the new athletic director, does not take a single question, even though his statements about the vetting process have largely been disproven by you and others reporting on this. Uh, he is Hugh Freeze is not specifically asked about the, the direct messages he sent to a sexual assault victim at Liberty's campus who... Oh, by the way, the university is under investigation federally for how they've handled that. Um, what do you make of the the job that the press did at the press conference to try? Is that the right situation? Obviously, you're going to have other availabilities. You're going to have other t- opportunities to ask him questions. He's going to have to answer these questions at some point. So what do you make of the job that the press pool did? I know you were not there, so we're not blaming you here um, for, for what took place in the introduction. But also, how much does Auburn control some of that? in general? Yeah. I mean, I think it was mixed. I mean, I think that you saw some, I thought some good, strong questions being asked. Um, you know, I thought some of my colleagues um, at AL.com did a good job with that. Uh, there was some, a good question from the Associated Press. Uh, there was a good question from, I thought, uh, Jeff Spiegel, who's a local TV reporter, basically asking like, Hey, is John Cohen going to ask questions? Is, will John Cohen answer questions? You know? And I think that was smart to push that. Uh, I think what you see I think there's a couple of things in terms of how ser- coaching searches are reported on, but then also when guys are hired, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to want access. Right. And so I think you see some of the, do I want to immediately get off on the wrong foot, this football coach who I'm probably going to need to do some of the things that I want to do. And so I think that, and I'm not putting any blame on it. Everybody has to do their own thing. Right. But you just some of the questions that I and the outlets that they were coming from, I felt like made sense. And then maybe some of the questions that were being asked by people who maybe don't care as much about that access and don't need that access as much, maybe were a little harsher um, and not maybe uh, as concerned about, oh, Hugh's going to be mad that I asked this tough question to him in a press conference. Other ones felt like they were just kind of curveballs being left down the middle, hoping that Hugh Freeze would, you know, hit him out of the park. And, you know, that would be the start of their, you know, great new relationship with the head coach. <laughs> how much, uh, how much reporting do you think is, is necessary on, on the, the nuts and bolts of the search? Because in, in a place like Auburn, where there's a lot of pretty rich factions involved and a lot of, uh, you know, they just changed the athletic director. And so there's questions of like, how much, uh, yeah, how much power does the athletic director have in these searches versus the president versus kind of, I mean, and they've done this, you know, several times here in the last few years, how much, how much reporting on that does it matter? Or at some point the, does it just never matter? And, and, and you're, you end up with what you end up with. And I think it matters. I think it's always, I mean, I'm always curious about how, how we end up with the decisions that we end up. And so I think, you know, for instance, two years ago when 
when Auburn ultimately hired Brian Harson, you know, I wrote this story about the power struggle behind that hire and how they wanted Kevin Steele and they didn't get him. And at that time, like I wrote this, I think it was December 23rd, 23rd, 24th is when that hire was made. And I remember talking to people, influential people, and they basically told me, and I put it in the story that like, if this hire doesn't work out, Alan Green is getting run out of town. Like, and they straight up told that to him, like, we are going to run you out of town if this is, if this doesn't work out and it didn't work out and he got run out of town. And so I think those are instructive to understand how the fan base works. And, you know, you can kind of figure out, you know, whose, whose line is on the neck. I think in some ways that's interesting about the coaching search. Like I know that there are people who have wanted Hugh Freeze for many years to be the next Auburn coach. They weren't able to get him hired the last go around this time they were. I think that's interesting. How did that happen? Like those are things that I do think are interesting to understand moving forward. But I think that, I mean, the truth of it is that coaching searches actually are very challenging to cover for a lot of reasons. And the the big ones are everyone's lying to you probably in some capacity. And <laughs> there's so many different interests being well kind of like woven together that it's hard to know what's real. You know, you have I can talk to two people who I trust and one will say, yeah, we never offered that guy. And the other guy will say, yeah, they offered me the job. Like, who do you believe? You know, that's something that constantly plays out in coaching searches. So it's hard to kind of suss out what's real and what's not. But I'm always, I think it's, if you can try to put together a comprehensive story, I think it, it is important. And I think it, it's certainly something the audiences seem to enjoy. It's just Jimmy what, Sexton. He's the only one you can trust. <laughs> what, what what ends up being your threshold for what you think you can say in a story in, in a situation like this? Because you're exactly right. I mean, there, there's people who are acting sometimes without perfect information. They're at, or they're they're rogue kind of they're kind of rogue actors kind of within this, and they, they either do or don't know what's going on inside, or may want to be concealing something. What? How do you kind of like put all that into a in, into a, a a pot and make soup out of it? Yeah, I think I mean I think the key is trying to talk to multiple people, but also trying to understand. Here's the thing that I think people fall into the trap of, and I feel like I might have even done this when I was younger. Like sometimes, like you talk to multiple people, you think, all right, I talked to multiple people, but they all actually got it from the same person themselves. And so I try to be like, all right, where is that? And like, obviously if you're talking to someone who's directly involved in the search, that's where they got that information. Right. But if you're talking to somebody, say a step back, you, I want to know, okay, where did you get that information? Because sometimes it might be, and we see this play out. It might be an agent who put something out there and then the agent tells somebody, and then it's like, well, I talked to three people. It's like, yeah, but all of that information actually came from the agent. So like you really talked to one person through three people, you know? And so that's something that you kind of, you have to figure out a little bit of where you get your information from. I think, of course, the closer you are to the direct source, the more you want to or hope to trust it. Um, but I mean, you have to be skeptical of that too. I mean, there's, again, there's a lot of people with a lot of different interests uh, that, you know, are going to do what they need to do to best serve those. I'm sure Les Miles totally wanted to coach at Arkansas. I, that's absolutely exactly how how it, how he felt about the whole thing. Um, John, if you're you've got access, and and you can include Jimmy Sexton in this if you want to, but Hugh Freeze specifically, you've got access to him. I'm the SID at Auburn. I've given you a sit down. We're clear in the room. Everything's empty. What are the first two or three questions you want to ask? What are the things you want to learn from from Hugh Freeze, the new Auburn head football coach? You can butter oh, me up. You can butter me up first at two if you want to. Like, you can you can do that. Well, see, it's interesting because like, Hugh Freeze and I have a bit of he and I have a bit of a shared history, you know. So not not to the extent of our friend Godfrey, but it's almost like maybe like <laughs> half of like 
if you put Godfrey in a room of freeze and ask them, say, ask him whatever you want. Like I might be going down that direction. So, I mean, <laughs> I think, I mean, I would truly, I mean, I would ask some of the questions that I think that we would all want to ask. I think that, you know, one of the things that, and I don't know how I would ask this, but one of the things that I think has been interesting to me is that I've noticed it in past stories he's done and I've noticed it some today as well is that he almost seems mad that people haven't completely forgiven him yet. And there's something that I feel like that that almost needs to be tapped in there. It's almost like he's upset that people continue to bring up his sordid past. It's like, dude, you were calling escorts. Like, yeah, that will always be asked about you. That's always going to be talked about. But he seems like, hasn't it been enough time? Hasn't it been enough time for me to you guys move past that? And so I would want to understand like why he thinks that he deserves to be forgiven. Like why, and why, you know, why do we all have to, like, is he okay with people not forgiving him? Cause it seems like he's not, it seems like he has a real issue that after two years and him doing his little forgiveness tour that we're all not on board yet. Like that seems to be something that eats him up. And I think directly plays to, if we're going to tie it all together, why he slides in people's DMs. Like I think he he's very thin skinned and he leans into that kind of stuff. And we'll see if he actually has his Twitter taken away or not. But you know, <laughs> what's, well, what's, that, and, what's ironic and that, and, though, hang on a second. See, what's yeah. ironic is that if he actually, if he actually believed all the stuff he was saying, like, I think people, if he actually just sat there and was contrite about the whole thing and, and, and like leaned into being like the thing that he's pr- pretending to be, I think people would be fine. Like, I don't think anyone actually cares about paying players. I don't think people care that all that much about, you know, what you and your wife do. It's your own business, whatever. Like, I, I but, but it, my, I guess my first question, because I spent a lot of time like thinking, all right, if I didn't need access to this guy, what would I ask him at a press conference that probably isn't the right setting? But what would I ask? And, and it, the, the thing that keeps landing on me is sort of like, why did you think it was okay to, to reach out to, a, a person in her situation at Liberty. Like what, what, what was your goal behind that conversation? Like I, I would want to learn the mindset of why he thought that was an okay thing to do because we've got 20 years of behavior here. That's not illegal. That's not criminal. It's just weird. <laughs> and trying to understand more about that is, uh, I guess, I guess the direction I, I would want to go with it. But I, you know, again, that, that introductory press conference is not the time or place for that. And I think that's linked, I think, with some of the things that I want to know. Again, it feels like, it almost feels like he, like, if he can just talk to you, he can get you on board, right? And I don't know, like, I don't know if that's where it comes from. It feels sometimes like that to me that, like, you know, like, it's all about how you view it. And, like, you know, I, I talked to that woman involved and, you know, a lot of that conversation I'll let stay between she and, you know, me and her. But, like, you know, she certainly took it as, like, an intimidation thing, you know, like, that he was doing this maliciously. That's how she took it, and I think her opinion and feelings, obviously, are very valid, and they should be. Um, I think that, in his mind, you know, if you wanted to believe what I think he has told people was that, like, you know, that it wasn't anything malicious. He wasn't trying to intimidate her. I think that he, he came, it seems like he comes at it from more of, like, a seek to understand, right? But, I mean, we, we're all on the internet, right? We're on Twitter, like, since I published that story the other day, I mean, my mentions have just been a disaster zone, right? And I, what I do as someone who's not nearly as famous and who doesn't make the money that Hugh Freeze does is I leave it alone. Like, I'm not sliding into the DMs of every person who's criticizing me on Twitter today. Like, I, that's just, to me, that's ridiculous behavior. Like, I am not thin-skinned <laughs> enough that I have to try to win over every single person who's criticizing what I do. 
but that's what it feels like he is trying to do. And it, I think it leads to bad moments like the one that he had with Chelsea Andrews. And I think it's, I mean, he's done it with other people. I mean, I'm sure Godfrey has told stories out here in the past, but he's been doing this for at least a decade since I've known him. Do you think that, uh, do you think that coaches, it seems like coaches fall into kind of two categories. The ones that, that don't care what anybody thinks about them. They, they're focused on them and their team and the ones that desperately need to be liked slash loved by people. Uh, is that, is that fair? Because it seems like freeze falls and freeze's behavior falls into that category of, you know, people that desperately want to be liked or, or heard by, by their, by their fans, by people who, who don't understand them by, by, you know, random people on Twitter. Yeah. Well, so the one thing I'll push back on this, I think, first off, I think every coach cares. They all say they don't care, <laughs> but I think every single one does. And, you know, not to pull, make this all full circle of some promo here, but like Nick Saban's a guy who talks about how he doesn't care either. Right. But, but then, I mean, he, he'll bring up the fact that, you know, well, you, the media, you guys are burying us. And so he uses it all the time in his way. You know, I don't think Saban cares. I mean, he's, he can be thin skinned too, but, I don't think he cares as much about how he is portrayed. I think he uses it more of like, how can I take this to benefit my organization? And a lot of times it's, if there's even anything remotely negative, he can lean into that and say, you know, they said this, this, and this, the friend, the, the dynasty's dead, blah, blah, blah. Hugh absolutely wants to be liked. And there are coaches like that. And it's something that, you know, we're going to get real in the weeds here from a journalism nerd standpoint. It's something that I talk to journalists about all the time. It's, the when you have direct access to a head coach right sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes it's a bad thing like i'm not as somebody who has covered coaches who i have direct relationships with like getting the text like hey i saw that tweet you had i didn't like it like you're kind of like like why are you even looking at it versus the like nick saban's not texting me mad about things that i'm tweeting like he might eventually <laughs> get it put on his you know desk like here's all the media that happened this week you may go screw that guy but like i'm not getting texts about that Hugh Freeze, as we know, based on how things have been covered, will text reporters about certain things that are written about him. And that's, you know, I think it can work in his favor. I mean, some coaches make it a point to cultivate relationships as to curry, you know, strong coverage. Others don't. So um, it, it is interesting how certain coaches, you know, go about that. And I think Hugh is somebody who does desperately want to be liked. And I think that stems from, again, maybe him trying to feel like he can win everybody over if he just has a chance to be in front of them. What's, what's really interesting because I, listen, I'll be, I'll be very honest. Like I've gotten those messages from Hugh. You send a nice tweet about Hugh freeze. He's probably going to tell you, thank you. Like that's just how it's been for, like you said, like 10 years. And what I find interesting is how he has sort of like muddied the media waters in his own story to some degree. And I'm kind of, this is all kind of landing on me here. I'm workshopping it as we're talking, but <laughs> like there, there is clear dichotomy amongst the national college football media and, and local media that has covered him for a long time. And it's almost like that water has become so muddy that we can't actually have a normal, like real conversation about the things that like, Hey, we, this is risky for Auburn. We're not even sure if he's, like capable of winning national championships on just a football merit standpoint. He's a good coach, but we don't know how good. And there's, I, it feels like there's not even like a real conversation being had that is sort of in the middle, kind of considering all angles and trying to be rational about it. I'd like to think this is one of them, but 
it, it's it. People are in their corners. Like that's it. Like you either love Hugh Freeze because he's giving you information and he's giving you access, and you're writing glowing stories about his redemption. Rub some church on it, uh, as uh, the great <laughs> Jason, as the great Jason Kirk said, or. Or you're on the other side and, and you're Godfrey, basically, <laughs> like, you know, with like with like the lynch mob. So like what it's almost like he's done this to himself in some degree that there's no actual accurate conversation being being had about him, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And I think it's you know, I, I think people kind of are in their own corners, I think, at this point. And I think what was fascinating is and I didn't, I don't pretend like I consumed all the media the last 24 hours. I might have missed a lot. So this is just kind of my little small taste of it. I feel like the national coverage of Hugh Freeze to Auburn was more positive yesterday than a lot of the local coverage, which I think is interesting. And I think, you know, uh, as Godfrey would probably point out, there's probably a reason why that happens, right? And again, <laughs> it goes back to who we are beholden to and who we want to impress and who we need access from. And I think you saw people at a national level, spinning this higher in a certain way. Um, and you can ask, you know, why that happened. Um, and I think people at the local level, I feel like were a bit more critical of it. I, I didn't see a lot of people at the national level really kind of, I mean, even somebody like, like Dan Wolken, who I feel like typically would be all over this was kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, it's like, Oh, like I, I would have thought Dan would like, it's almost of like all, he surprised me people. by going the opposite, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, I think uh, not that I, not that I ever want to be on Team Godfrey here, right? Uh, but I think Godfrey <laughs> and I, part of maybe our problem with this is that we've seen a little too much and it's hard for us to buy the, like you think about how many people have been burned by the he is reform story. And we've seen them, plenty of them done over the years. It's a real access journalism kind of move, right? You know, like somebody has fallen and here's the story of their return, right? And some people, whether you want to call them naive or they're just willing to be used, whatever, they buy into it. There are people who truly believe, buy into the Hugh Freeze Reformation journey. I am not personally one of them. And I don't think Godfrey is either. And there are other people who aren't. And I think that's and that's okay, too, because I can also say, you know what? I think he's a pretty good football coach. I think he's probably going to win a lot of games. I think he's actually a pretty good fit for what Auburn wants in terms of a personality. And if that's all you care about, I think it's a good hire, you know, and that's, and that's okay. And if you can separate those two things, that's fine. And I don't, you know, I, I'm not here. I'm not God. I, I mean, I don't like it. Let somebody else judge him right. in terms of whether he's a good person or not. But it's when the people lean into the other stuff that I'm like, right, it's a little gross. Those, those redemption stories are really interesting because I, as a, as a journalist, I, I think they're fun to write. Uh, it, it, they're, they're often an interesting human interest sort of story, but I, I wonder how much, uh, how much do we as journalists vet those things and push on them, uh, the way we would say it, the, the way we would something else. Uh, and I, I wonder, does, does somebody like freeze and kind of your experience with it, put you off of writing those story, those kinds of stories? Uh, you know, again, or, or does it give you a natural cynicism towards those kind of redemption arc stories? I think, yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think it's certainly, you know, I think what Hugh, part of I think why he was a very good recruiter is he was very charming when he wants to be, you know, and I find some of his whole shtick a little phony. Um, but I think that for people 
you know, who buy into it, it can become off as very charming, very genuine, very authentic. And so I think when he is really selling you on his story, it can be easy to kind of get caught up in it. Right. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned is, you know, like, I almost feel like it should be like, if somebody is willing to kind of give up their story a little too easily, I'm always a little skeptical. Like, I almost want to have to pull it out of you. You know, I want you to like, you know, not to be like, I, I really want to do the redemption story, you know, because maybe you haven't actually hit rock bottom and hit the point where you're ready to come back. But you're right. I mean, you look at, I think one of the classic tropes in especially sports journalism is somebody had to overcome X to get to Y, right? I mean, we all do it. It's, and it could be at a very small level. It could be, you know, so-and-so had a torn ACL and here's how they came back. Like, those are fun stories to write. We like, like, we we need the drama. Otherwise, it's boring to us. And so, so many stories are written in that way, which I think, to your point, Steve, is why redemption stories are fun to write. Like, so-and-so hit rock bottom. Here's how they came back. That's an interesting story to write. But I think that the best ones don't, like whitewash away all the bad stuff you know like i think you get into the real stuff and you ask them those real questions and and sometimes i mean there are great redemption stories and i'm not like i don't want to pretend like i'm saying that whole category is bad there are some incredible stories that i've read and loved and enjoyed Uh, i'm just always maybe i'm more cynical now especially about the coach search the coach story ones and the other big one for me is how much time has passed like if i'm doing a redemption story six months after you got fired have you really changed that much? Like maybe you've done, maybe you've done a tiny bit of therapy, but like maybe not enough, you know, like I don't, I just like, to me, it's just sometimes we're a little too fast to do them, which I think also can lead to us getting burned. Well, and, and there's also, excuse me, first of all, there's a reason mega church pastors are so successful. They're very charismatic. Like it, it is very easy to get lulled into and pulled into the story that they're selling you because Hugh's got a lot of charisma. Like he does, like there's no question about it. Um, but it's also very hard to prove. The redemption like it's hard to prove like and he actually ironically he said it at the press conference where he's like all i got to do is just keep every day just trying to prove and rebuild that trust and it's like yeah that's how my dad taught me about trust when i was four like i lied <laughs> to my dad and now i have to rebuild that trust but you know yeah. by by building it all back up but it takes time and evidence to do all of that and it's almost impossible to prove and and again i, I agree with you i i don't there's there's a large gap between like criminal behavior and being the second most influential human being in the state of Alabama, making $8 million a year. Like there's a huge middle ground in there. And I think Auburn has decided the calculus of all of this. And they said, look, here's what we're going to do. Football is our priority. And and this is it. But there, it doesn't come without risk. And the risk you can trace. And I think you guys at AL.com have done a good job of this. The risk you can trace all the way back to his time in Memphis high school. So, so like the behavior, the behavior is there. It's not it's it's not criminal. But it's a little freaking weird, and so uh, again, I'm just now I'm just repeating myself. But it's it's hard to prove if someone's behavior. Well, not to go all changed. dark here, but I mean, escorts are technically illegal, right? I mean, yes, sure, but like I'm I'm good with victimless. Uh, I'm crimes. not. Yeah, I'm just personally, I'm good with victimless crimes. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I'm not trying to to make it that he for that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Lamestream Sports is a podcast about national sports media and business. It is hosted by Steve Cavendish of the Nashville Banner. Sign up for free good news sent right to your email box, NashvilleBanner.com. And it is, in fact, brought to you by the wonderful and amazing folks at Jaspers. Always brought to you by the fine folks 
at Jasper's. You have to think about it. That was a little dramatic pause. Okay. All right. Just want to make sure. Just want to make. Uh, Jet, listen. Um, the 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 college football TV ratings were fantastic. So we'll give you a little tease here of what the conversation coming up. This is why we want you. You know, we want you to listen to the ads. Um, the Titans' highest rated football game of the entire season, which I think now includes people sitting at Jasper's. I think they're they're trying to measure people sitting at bars watching these games, right? There's a calculus. Yes, a part of the calculus. Of which we are not privy to, nor are we capable of understanding. <laughs> Apparently. 23.6, the Cincinnati Bengals game. That's a good number. Pulled the 20, it was the highest rated game of the entire season for the Tennessee Titans. It finished, that would put it at number three amongst the college football games for the entire season. Now, every Titans game beat every college game in this market, with the exception of two. Exception of two games. Can you take a guess? This is, again, all a preview and a tease for the conversation coming up later in the pod. This is why you listen to the ads. Go to Jaspers. Who do you, which two college football games do you think beat the Cincinnati Bengals Titans game at a 23.6? All that information courtesy News Channel 5. Well, lamestream listeners will know that the answers <laughs> are Alabama and Georgia. So you mean Alabama, Tennessee? Right. Oh, right. I, I, I'm, I'm assuming okay. that I, I'm I'm assuming that they're UT games. Alabama, yes. Uh, Alabama, Tennessee, and Georgia, Tennessee. Yes. If if again, we've talked about this before. Uh, struggled mightily in my three or four years doing local radio to try to figure out exactly what kind of market this is from a college football standpoint. Nick Saban. Oh, it's is a in, Tennessee market. <laughs> unequivocally, we learned this year that it is still very much a Tennessee market. Now, Alabama still heavily number two. Um, and, uh, look, look, college football is still vibrant and extremely popular in this city. The Titans have always been the dominant force and will always be the dominant force, but I, I can't wait to see what the world cup matches do. Uh, I can't wait to see, you know, I, world series games didn't even finish like in the top six or seven of the week that they were played in. So, um, Preds games, Nashville SC games don't register. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the world cup does, but we are a football, football, football town as if that was ever in doubt. And it is Titans and volunteers with a little bit of Crimson Tide sprinkled in uh, number three. So that, that's that's the priorities here. Uh, and if you want to go watch any of these spectacular and amazing teams and games, where should you do it, Steve? You should go watch them at Jasper's. It is the home of free parking. The parking is so free. It is gloriously free mm. of great deals of fine food, and one of the best, uh, one one of the sneaky best little uh, pocket game rooms you're going to find anywhere. It really is a great game room. Um, also, I parked for free after my daughter, like, like, desperately mocked me into going taking her to the Tennessee game, which I should. I'm very proud of. I've just created a monster. I I, I went to the Vanderbilt Tennessee game. Took her. She stood in the rain, and uh, we parked for free. <laughs> Not many other Wait, SEC stadiums you can go park for free at. <laughs> um. The you you subjected her to that mess. Uh, other way around, dude. I'm telling you, she started the game kicked off at home and she started bawling. She was so mad that I wouldn't take her. She was so desperate to go. And like, not like there's two different types of of crying as a parent that you recognize from the other room. There's like, I may have a broken bone crying, which uh -huh. is like really, really you could just tell that one's different. 
And then there's the I'm whining and crying because I'm not getting what I want. I'm really not actually feeling any pain, but I'm just a mopey, sad, whiny baby. Mm -hmm. Love you, love you, sweetie. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Big listener. This was a different one. This was in the middle, and it was like genuine despair and disappointment and 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 anger at me. Like one of those where like it starts happening, and me and my wife look at each other from across the room, and then we're like, we give. She's looking like the eyebrows go up, and she's like, "Dude, you're gonna have to take her." <laughs> and so we got <laughs> we we got in the truck and we drove across town, got free parking, may have also gotten free tickets. Uh, walked right into the stadium, sat like uh, good, in the room. Good seats still available for that game. Yeah, yeah, 30, 35 yard line, fifteen rows up. That was our actual seats, and uh, she stayed for about two and a half quarters in the rain. Loved it. Wow. Loved, it. Loved every minute of it. First ever college football game. I'm a great father. I win. She's a great kid. I've created a monster. What are we going to do? Go to Jasper's, everybody. The Alabama papers are going to stop printing uh, in February. Uh, you won't be able to get the Birmingham News or the Hunts, uh, Huntsville or Mobile papers kind of out on the stands anymore. Is it going to be weird? Yeah, uh, have, I think it is. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, have you kind of – have? I know I've talked to a bunch of folks who who work in the, you know, who work in Birmingham or work in other kind of places around there. And they're all kind of like internalizing it and they're trying to figure out kind of like what the jobs are going to be kind of afterwards. But, but, but beyond all that, is it going to be weird to just not have a newspaper anymore? Because it's, because you guys are, that seems to be, I mean, it's definitely where the, the trend is heading, but, but you guys are like out on the, out on the front edge of it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I think in some ways, maybe in part why some people are internalizing it too, is like, you know, it's because, you know, we announced it um, months ahead of time, right? So it's kind of like, it's, there are still newspapers, right? And there still will be for a few more months. And so it's like, it's this kind of a looming thing. You know, I, I think there's positives and negatives to it, right? I think the negatives are, I think are obvious. Uh, I would say for me, from a, like, just a journalistic standpoint, the negative is that, like, you know, like sometimes when you talk to an older person, like I would like, they might, not, I mean, I think AL.com is very well known in the state of Alabama, but sometimes if somebody's like 75, 80, if I'm talking, if I'm, for instance, if, if I'm calling maybe like Coach Stallings, like I might say, hey, I work at the Birmingham News, you know, and like that might be what resonates for certain people of a certain age. You know, if I'm down in Mobile, I might say, hey, I work for the press register. And that's all true and accurate. Um, and that, you know, they're like, oh yeah, like I've been reading the Birmingham News for 80 years or whatever, you know, and like, First, like, what is AL.com? You know, so that made it a little bit easier for certain people. Uh, you know, I think guys like you understand it. The positive, and we have started to experience this, and I think it's been one of the cool things, is that without print, you know, we because we've part of what happened uh, midway through the football season is when this started happening, is like we stopped doing, uh, like, holding the Saturday paper to get all the coverage in from games. So it used to be, you know, you would have until either 11 p.m. or midnight or something like that on Saturdays for that Sunday paper to get all your stories in. And I think kind of around when this was all happening, we decided basically, like, we're not doing that anymore. Everything has to be in by, like, 2 p.m., right? So the vast majority of the football coverage on Saturdays is not getting into the Sunday paper, which sucks. But the positive, and a lot of people would tell you this, too, is that, like, the 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 stories that you write on a, especially a tight night deadline typically suck. I mean, it's like, it's survive in advance, right? It's kind of like, all right, I'm just getting something out there. And you, you know, usually you're not able to go down to the field because you're at your laptop trying to crank it out. And so when you don't have those deadlines, you get to free up your reporters to just go find me something. And uh, one of my 
uh, coworkers, Michael Casagrande, is really good at finding those stories. And so there were numerous times where I'd be like, just go down to the field and find me something. And he has found these really interesting, fun stories that we never would have gotten under those you know kind of tight print deadlines. So there's some positives of it, uh, but it's just going to be weird to the, you know, I have something hanging on my fridge now, actually, like uh, a newspaper, which I had a story on the cover. And it's just like to not have that, it's just going to be, I think, a little strange. But, you know, it's it's the reality that we live in. And unfortunately, I don't think we're going to be the last ones. Uh, AJC has announced plans as well. They've talked about maybe doing Sunday only. Some of the people I've talked to are very skeptical that they'll even do that. They think they're kind of just delaying it until eventually they're just going to do the exact same thing as us. So I think more and more are going to head that way. And I mean, I don't need to tell you guys about the issues that Gannett has. Yeah. yeah. Let, me, let me ask us a slightly different way, which is the a, a newspaper is very much an editor's medium in the sense that 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 you create the organization that a, that a reader gets. Uh, and you present the stories, you, you, you know, you, you put them in a specific order, you tell them what you think is the most important. Uh, and, and a website does that, but I mean, you know, a, a lot of your traffic, you know, how much of that is people coming in through, through the website, less than half. Uh, and, and so what do you think changes long-term it, from an, from an editing point of view and kind of, and kind of like how you're making decisions for readers? Yeah. And I think that, so I think that this is, I don't think it's going to be a major change, but just because it's something that we've already been leaning into. Right. So we went to three days a week, I think it was 2012, 2013 or so. And I think we've been leaning into this for a while, but to your point, I think for a long time, and I think we've gotten out of this, but I think there are newspapers who still believe in this where, you know, you're going to put on the front of your paper, like, this is what you, we think you need to care about, right? And it could be any story you wanted. And I know that in my, you know, uh, experience, like, there are stories that I wrote that got put on the front page that, based on the feedback that we got, people really enjoyed and liked. And if it was purely on the website, nobody would have found it, you know? And, like, it's, like, some of it's investigative work. I mean, I did some... When I was in Mississippi, I did a bunch of work around like Jackson State and the HBCUs. And like I can tell you from digital traffic, a lot of this stuff does not do very well. Dion has, of course, juiced it, but tr- traditionally does not do very well. So what happens is you lean a lot more into metrics, right? You lean more into what your audience is already telling you that they want. And that's a good and bad thing, I would say, because you can fall into a lot of traps that way. The flip side of it is, you're not, it, there's a little bit, it's a little more democratic. It'd be like, hey, I can tell that you love reading about this person. And I'll tell you an example of it. I remember 2015 Alabama wins the national championship. And that's the year that Derrick Henry won the Heisman. We would write these stories about Bo Scarborough, who ended up being a very good player at Alabama. But at the time, I mean, he was like a five-star recruit who didn't play at all. And every time we wrote about him, like it would do crazy numbers. And like, and we never, like, in a newspaper setting, that would have been, like, a little blurb, like, hey, Bar- Bo Scarborough, you know, like, is practicing better now. But we would do these little bigger stories, and they're doing, you know, 50, 100,000 page views. And we're like, this is ridiculous, but, like, we're going to lean into that. We're going to, like, now we're going to ask Nick Saban questions, like, what's going on, Bo, Bo Scarborough? Is he going to play? And so, like, it informs some of your, you know, your intentions to say, all right, like, we know there's a lot of interest in this story. Let's double down. Let's ask questions. Let's lean into it. Uh, again, the, the downside of that is you can lean into bad things as well. Well, or or lean into to 
or not tell the interesting story about the HBCU, right? Like just that, like that kind of stuff just ends up hitting the cutting room floor or never gets it signed or, or whatever. Um, John, tell everybody, uh, first of all, for first half of this question is tell everybody about the book and how long you worked on it, uh, about all about Nick Saban and his leadership secrets, of course. Uh, but I'd like you to explain the difference. Like if this had happened with Alabama and we were replacing Nick Saban versus replacing XYZ coach at Auburn, can you try to explain how to, how covering those two things would be different at all? Well, I think what's interesting about Alabama is that Nick Saban has, and this is something that's in the book, so here's a good tie-in, right? Uh, but he, I think, was very good at kind of clearing out a lot of those issues. And so I think people forget that before Nick Saban got to Alabama, Alabama was a mess. Maybe a, not, maybe similar level as Auburn, honestly. I mean, you look at the run they had of coaches from Mike DeBose and all the issues that he had, Dennis Franchione being there for two years and bailing. Uh, Mike Price never coaching a game and resigning in shame. Mike Shula. I mean, it was a mess. You had boosters kind of running amok. You had all these infighting. Like, I mean, it was just a disaster. And Saban basically came there, sat a bunch of those guys in a room, and was just like, if you want to win, clear out. Give me what I need and let me do my thing. Like, I'm not going to go to all your barbecues and parties. Like, that's not what I want to do. Let me do my thing. And they're like, okay, that wasn't very nice, but like, that's, <laughs> we'll do that. And, you know, and then he won a lot and they're like, okay, this is the deal that we made, you know? And so when he leaves, the question that I've had and, you know, something that I've talked to people about for years now is like, it's almost like, uh, the thing I can think of is like, it's almost like in Ghostbusters, you know, when they like flip the switch and all the like ghouls and ghosts start like coming out, like, does like Saban leaving, does it bring up all that craziness again that's been like tamped down over the last like 15 years? Like, I don't know if we know the answer to that. And I have joked for years now, like in some ways, there's no place I'd rather be than the state of Alabama when Nick Saban decides to leave. And in some ways, there's no place I'd rather less be than the state of Alabama when Nick Saban leaves, because there will be so much pressure to hire the right person. There will be lots of people pulling in different directions. And uh, it, it'll be pretty, it'll be pretty chaotic, but uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I think we probably have a little, we have some more time before that happens, but um, when it eventually does, there's going to be a lot of different factions. I think potentially just, pop it up as well. Just make sure you have the lead ready for new Alabama head football coach, Lane Kiffin. Just make sure you got the lead already written <laughs> because so, it's, I mean, it's, it's coming the, boys. And I'm marking the tape right now. <laughs> so I'm going to push back on it. Uh, I think he wants that. And I think if you talk to people, he told, he has told people that that's what he wants. Now, you know, I can only go off of things that I hear over the years and I've told him me, I think there might, I think they might know him a little too well to hire him, but you know, it depends on what happens. The deck, if it happens a decade from now and everybody who's important right now is cleared out, you know, it might be different. If Nick Saban were to retire next year, I don't think it's Lane, but you know, I could be wrong on that. All right. Well, Lane, Lane keeps changing every year. You know, he gets more and more mature, John. Every day, um, you still have not. <laughs> you told can write. People. You can write the Lane Kiffin redemption story. It's sitting right there for you. <laughs> I of the three of us, I am the one who does all the talking. I don't do the scribing. Those are I leave the I leave the words to the really good writers like you two guys. Um, so so tell everybody the name of the book and where they can buy it. Yeah, so it's called The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban. Um, you can buy it anywhere you buy a book, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, of course, your local bookstore. Uh, to give you the short little elevator pitch, 
it's basically a deep dive into how Nick Saban has built, you know, this incredible dynasty that he's had for so long in Alabama. And really it's about kind of the things that he's done and does that I think are translatable outside of just football. So whether it's you as a person, whether you run a business, all those different things, there's a lot of business and leadership stuff kind of mixed into uh, that formula of how he's been able to have the success that he's had. And, and there's, I mean, you right. I mean, there's fun stories in there. There's fun anecdotes, some fun Kiff and stuff in there. You know, there's there's plenty of stuff that will I think you'll enjoy from like a, a real like, hey, this is interesting. I can add this into my life, and also stuff like that's just funny, and I enjoyed that story. Yeah, Steve Sarkeesian, head coach in waiting, University of Alabama. Uh, check out the anecdotes, of course. Check out the book, John. Always a pleasure, my friend. Great talking to you. Thanks for giving us so much of your time. Uh, an Auburn coaching search, man. Everybody, kick your heels up, have a glass of, of brown water, and. Go to bed. Go to bed for the first time in in weeks. So, very excited. Appreciate it. Enjoyed uh, talking to both of you. That was John Talty of AL dot com. Yeah, I, listen. I thought the press. Uh, I thought John was a little soft on on the uh, the press there, but rightly so. A lot of those people are his friends. A lot of those people are his colleagues. I do think his colleague Joseph Goodman was the one guy who continued to ask the follow up about why do you deserve a second chance. Friend and of the podcast, Joseph Goodman. Been on the show before, wrote a great book about Alabama undefeated season in 2020. He, uh, of course, again, had two or three follow-ups, and the microphone didn't work for those three questions. I watched every minute of the press conference. It was the only audio you could not hear the entire time. No, there's no way that was an accident. Um, uh, he didn't have, he maybe not have had the microphone. They could have gotten him the microphone. I don't know. I just, it was a, it was, it was quite a production. Uh, by the Auburn family there. Um, but do with it what you will. I recommend, I recommend, if you like this pod, I recommend watching the press conference. And it's and, up on uh, YouTube now. Yeah. I would, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, the righteous, the righteous gemstones put on quite a show yesterday. <laughs> the, 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 the truly, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're a true masochist, go watch this. Press yeah, conference. yeah, exactly. Uh, he only cried like three times. I'm sure it was totally genuine. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't know what you have to add about this. I, I, if you want to listen to my thoughts on Hugh Freeze, the hire, Hugh Freeze, the coach, is he actually capable of winning at a high level? What are the actual things people should be concerned about? What are the actual risks Auburn is taking off the field and on the field? Uh, go listen to Fringe Element podcast. We got lots of stuff. Alex McDaniel was on there. Chris Marler's on there. Aaron Dugan's on there. A lot of good stuff on that show this week. So go check that out. Um, do you have anything me, you want to add to the? Well, let me give you a recommendation. Let me give you a recommendation, and and I bring this up because. Um, because our guest brought it up as well. Um, you know, uh, Stephen Godfrey, friend of the pod, um, has a has a pod called Split Zone Duo. Uh, their Patreon pod, and and I would and what I would say is, if if you love college football, you know this is this is something worth paying for. Uh, they did, they have done since since coach firing season started. Uh, they've done a, a series of Patreon pods about. Uh, you know, rumors and uh, various job openings and kind of trying to explain the why behind certain coaching searches. And they had about 20 minutes on Auburn at the start of the show Sunday night as all of this was happening. Yeah. And it is gold. It is absolute gold. So did he, did he, did, can you give us a, a brief, like, g- give me the vibes from Stephen Godfrey on Hugh Freeze, because he's been on this show. <laughs> And has threatened to release the treasure trove of information 
Oh, I think uh, I think well, I think, think this, this is another reason why you might want to be, become a split zone duo Patreon uh, is because it's coming. It's it's coming. <laughs> well, and um, and Talti well, alluded and, and, Talti alluded to how close he has been himself, and also Stephen Godfrey. Again, Alex McDaniel on Fringe Element podcast went to high school at Briarcrest in Memphis and covered Hugh Freeze at Ole Miss. So if if 440 is your spot and split zone duo is your spot if you want to get the real juice on Hugh Freeze. And the 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 vibe of that uh the vibe of that of that uh Patreon pod was was very much here's here's why all of this is happening. And 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 the Freeze had not been confirmed at at that point. Uh and so so they were they were in the middle of the the Auburn mania. Uh, and it's it's even even now that you know the outcome, and and they were saying you know freeze is probably the outcome on all this, uh, just just the deliciousness of yeah. of them describing the mania and all the forces at play, and freeze and all the problems that there are with freeze and and, and what freeze is likely, you know like how he's likely to do. It is just absolutely fascinating. It, yep. it, it, it is really one of the best things out there. And if you want to read my my own, and we're gonna this is our recommendation portion of the pod. We'll get to the college football ratings here in just a second. But I I think go to Jasper's by the way. Right. I think yeah exactly exactly. Um, who, who's what's what's old boy's name? Which one is this? This is Rudder. Rudder. Okay, Rudder's now a character on the show. Welcome to the show, Rudder. <laughs> um, I I think. The only piece I would recommend, which is more about sort of how to feel about it all and the emotion of it all, it's not necessarily about should Auburn have hired him? Is he going to win? Is he going to be successful? He kind of touches on this, but I think great newsletter by the J. It's, it's at the Jason Kirk. Uh, Jason Kirk, I, I I quoted him in the interview. <laughs> Rub some church on it is by far my favorite sentence of all content that has come out around Hugh Freeze over the last week. Um, so go read his newsletter. He's got a newsletter where he doesn't write a ton about sports. He used to cover college football. Uh, I've tweeted it out. Um, you can check it out again at the Jason Kirk. You can get to it on my Twitter account as well at Braden Gall. So go read it. It is he has got a very interesting backstory. He's pivoted into a very interesting like religion expert debunking sort of the myths, but as a as a believer. So I think he's really qualified to write about Hebrews and the possibly disingenuous nature of his. Uh, Bible thumping. So uh, go check it out at the Jason Kirk. Great read. Uh, college football ratings, Steve. You want to talk about college football ratings? Go to Jasper's. Let's let's go. Let's go. So, so as as so as we said, Bama, Tennessee, number one. It goes. This is why you listen to the ads. You would have gotten a little content early and maybe some some nuggets there. Number one most watched regular season college football game of twenty twenty two. Alabama, Tennessee, with a twenty five point eight. Each one of these ratings points is worth about. Uh, almost 12,000 TV homes in Nashville, according to News Channel 5. And so that that is, and then Georgia, Tennessee, number two, 24.1. Both of those are higher rated than every single Titans game so far this season, the highest rated of which was the Cincinnati Bengals game this past weekend at a 23.6. So Tennessee volunteer football beats the Titans twice this year, which has not happened, I would imagine, in uh, 15 in, years. In, in a bit. <laughs> in a in, long, in, long in a bit, yeah. In a long, long time. But it does set because then you go number three, Florida, Tennessee, 18.7, which is about what the Bills Titans game pulled. 
Number four, Alabama Ole Miss, 16.8. So there's your there's your Alabama influence uh, as well. And when you put Bama and Tennessee together in a brilliant football game, of course you're going to get a highest rated game. Uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, 14.3 at number five. Tennessee, Pittsburgh, 14.3 at number six. Uh, respect to college football fans for tuning in for that one. That was a, a pretty good football game early in the year against a team that nobody from this market cares about. Um, and, and probably a good indication right right there that Tennessee yes. was Tennessee was going to do well this season. Yes, I mean, there was not there not was just more, on the field, but but like in ratings. Yes, there was more excitement around the team coming into the year than ever before. No question. Number seven, Missouri, Tennessee, at a thirteen point four. So the top seven are pulling thirteen pluses. That's really impressive. And and all but one involved the Tennessee Volunteers. Number eight, Texas A and M, Alabama. Not a beautiful game, but a very close one down to the wire. Thirteen point one. Again, people tuning in for the Jimbo Fisher Nick Saban show. That actually delivered a good game, even though Bryce Young did not play. And and again, when Alabama has a chance to lose, people tune in. <laughs> that is what happens. Uh, Tennessee, <laughs> South Carolina, a really ugly performance. Number nine, 11.9. How about this? The first non-SEC game involving two non-SEC teams. Number 10, Michigan, Ohio State, 10.6. Uh, a nice number there on uh, Thanksgiving weekend. You say, you say involving no SEC uh, teams, but with implications for sec teams in the playoffs well but it also speaks to and i think this is what this is what people outside of the south do not fail to understand and it's all right now happening in front of our eyes going into this weekend that there is some deep state sec cabal with the esp with espn trying to get alabama back into the playoff and while alabama clearly matters to nashville what would draw the fact that the South watches Michigan, Ohio State as much as it's watched Tennessee LSU. By the way, number 11 on this list is Tennessee LSU. A phenomenal game by the Volunteers early in the season against a big brand in the SEC. Wasn't a great game. The Iron Bowl, 9.9, .9, number 12 on this list. The point is, is that the South will watch the big games in college football regardless of what conference is involved. So what ESPN wants, really from the committee, is to get USC into the playoff. <laughs> or Ohio State before Alabama or Tennessee. So if you if you have friends from the Big Ten or from the West Coast or from the Big 12, and they just constantly barrage you with this SEC deep state cabal conspiracy theory that the committee, a bunch of folks not from the SEC, are trying to get Alabama into the playoff for quote-unquote ratings purposes, just tell them that's complete horseshit. And that the team that would actually make ESPN the most money is the Heisman Trophy frontrunner quarterback, Caleb Williams, and the USC Trojans, which would loop in an entire half of the country into the ratings because the South will watch no matter what. You will always win the South in college football. You do not need the South to have more teams. You need teams from other regions to make more money if you're ESPN. End of rant. Good rant. I like that rant. I'm just I'm Solid so rant. I'm so tired of the committee conspiracy. I'm so tired of it. We talked about this last week on the pod, so I don't we don't need to do that again. Um, number 13, Bama LSU 9.4, uh, 14, Bama Arkansas 9.4, and then Florida State LSU, of course, that standalone game on Monday uh, on Sunday night uh, from back in week number one pulled a nine. So there's your top 15. Uh, Tennessee appears one, two, three, four, five, six. It's most of the schedule. Seven, eight times. Eight times of the top 11 games were Tennessee. Uh, all of the other ones, minus one, involved Alabama. So pretty clear. <laughs> Thank you, Rudder. Titans, Vols, and Bama. That is what Nashville is as a college football football market. So there you go. Uh, any thoughts, comments, questions? I, 
the Missouri game being number seven and uh, is interesting. Well, that that stretch right there where you have where you have uh, it's it's really interesting because the the playoff hopes were in the balance right there with with both yeah. Kentucky yep. and with uh, and the and the Missouri game, and then <laughs> and then South Carolina happened, and I think you know things kind of fell off a cliff. As you say, you don't see Tennessee Vanderbilt anywhere in this list. No. And I, I guess I think we guessed that if you listen, go back and listen to last week, we guessed. I think I guessed like a 14 or a 15 for Tennessee, South Carolina. So I was a little over the the skis on that one. They basically pulled a 12. Um, still a top 10 most watched game. I'm actually a little surprised that number wasn't bigger, but I guess it makes sense as the game was kind of out of hand. Hooker was out of the game in the fourth quarter. I could see the TV's not, you know, the peak of a great football game normally is like late third, early fourth quarter when you see the number. Hey, it pulled an average of 13 you know, whatever the number is, but it peaked at X number. When you see that written like that, uh, a lot of times that happens in a close game near the end of the game. Obviously it was not a close game in the fourth quarter. So that probably is what kind of tamped down that number a bit, but it's still a 12 basically for Tennessee, South Carolina and a top 10 most watched game of the year. So, yeah, I mean, and again, that that's the, that is the season that that is playoffs hanging in the balance right there. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, the, the, the games, the games afterwards, not as much. Tennessee being good, Alabama being like almost beat or beaten, and and those are the top two things that that draw in in Nashville as a college football market. And then we always watch playoff games and championship games and big games from other conferences. And like again, the South will watch the college football game if you put it on. Doesn't matter what conference, if it's big and it matters, we will watch it. So there you go. Got anything else for the great folks? Um, so go, go I, I, USA, go USA. And so I have I have two quick things. Uh, one of which is uh, I, I have been really impressed by the the play by play commentary uh, by the Fox crews uh, on on the World Cup. They imported Ian Dark uh, uh, over to help out, and he he and Landon Donovan have been paired up uh, in in a in a in a really kind of you know. And they've talked ironic, about the ironic twist. <laughs> well, uh, the, on the U.S. Uh, on the oh sorry on one of the games they talked about the 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 U.S. Algeria uh, call that Ian made and and on the on the uh, goal that Donovan scored that, that must have been, been when that must have been when Spain was up seven nothing. <laughs> uh, they've been they've been very they've been very good. John Strong and Stu Holden have been excellent. Have been really really excellent on the yeah. U.S. games. Uh, I, I think they've done like they they've done the right blend of being dramatic, of being kind of insightful, uh being critical about uh Burhalter when 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 they thought that he wasn't necessarily getting uh, getting things right. Uh really 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 good kind of and, and even if you're if you're off watching like the JP Della Camera and Kobe Jones games, you know, that's usually that's usually like Tunisia or Morocco or somebody like that. Right. Those are those are those are quite hey, good. Don't don't talk about Morocco like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but they've they, they've done a very good. You know, our criticism, uh, I think, in general, has been over their sort of blinders to the whole Qatar situation. Uh, but but the game it, the game coverage itself has been quite good. Yes. Um, the the other thing uh, the other thing uh, the other thing I really wanted to recommend here for a few weeks now, if uh, if you haven't been watching. Uh, Andor uh, on Disney Plus. You've already tried to convince me of this. I, I've tried to watch it, and I love and Star Wars. I love it. It is, it is, simply put, 
the best piece of Star Wars content since the original movie. Okay. I, you've said that on the show before. I know. I know. And, and it is and now that it, now that it's done, you can watch you can go watch the whole thing. It's a criticism of it and and several critics that I really really like have said, "Okay, the first episode or two are are a slow burn and it really picks up." Yeah. yeah. Uh but it, but it is the it is the story behind the rebellion. It is the story of the of the spy network that ends up in rogue one which was which was a prequel movie that came out a few years ago which was fantastic um i fell asleep i fell asleep in the first episode twice i want to watch it all when i have time i you have said all of this on the pod before steve you've said all of it is absolutely fantastic and i'm going to keep saying this until you watch the goddamn thing it's fair that's fair it's valid and fair Uh, okay uh i will say this one more comment on um the world cup first of all Tyler Adams, not only has he been the best player on the on the field in, in group stage to help the USA advance, um, but as a 23-year-old answering ridiculously disingenuous politically charged questions, as well as he did from the Iran reporter, um, I, I think... <laughs> reporters, I mean, like, all, just, uh, yes. all of Iranian state media just came loaded for bear at, at that pre- at that pregame press conference. Here's what you need to know about it. Go watch his answers. They were fantastic, by the way, and disarming and, and like, correct. Um, it's okay for us to have really critical, thoughtful, self-reflective questions about our role in the world and our own history that is, of course, very checkered along the lines of equality and freedom. That's absolutely true. Absolutely fair. Uh, not sure soccer coaches should be the ones that have to answer questions about our, like, immigration policies, but whatever. Um, but every single one of those questions is completely disingenuous when you are when your country is going through a massive uh, uh, like we're the, the Iranian regime is murdering young women for having self-expression. So like let, like actively let Tyler Adams brilliant job representing the United States, representing the soccer team, representing our country. Go listen to his responses to those questions when largely he was grilled in a, in a kind of like disingenuous, total, totally disingenuous manner. Um, trying to distract the team, uh, one nothing Iran. Um, Christian Pulisic. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted him to. I just wanted him to troll uh, the goaltender and everybody after the match. Although it was great to see the two countries' players come together. Um, and then I think uh, Telemundo having a huge impact on the total overall ratings. The Spanish-speaking uh, uh, community in this country. We're talking three and a half million viewers for the Wales match. We're talking four or five million viewers for. The English England match for the USA, a, the Mexico talk- Argentina number, which is not out yet, uh, will be a big number. Just it will be a, a it will be a very big number. Absolutely, and and we're t- we're talking about a quarter of the total viewership watching the USA matches are coming from Telemundo or slash Univision. So just a really interesting the size of that community uh, influencing ratings like that is really interesting to me. Just something to keep an eye on moving forward. So other than that. I think that's Tele- about it. T- Telemundo sneak snaking in and getting the rights to that, and then them experimenting with it on Peacock. Yep. Uh, low key, like one of the one of the better kind of rights uh, moves that's been made in a while. They, they've 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 done really really well. Off yes, of yes, they have, and uh, good for them. Really smart stuff. So, uh, all right, thank you to John Talty for hanging out with us. Go to Jasper's, of course, great place to watch all of the sporting events, unless of course it happens at eight a.m. Not our fault. Not Jasper's fault. Uh, I can't get them to open up early and 8 a.m. at Sir Booze. That's just not appropriate of us. But you know what? Um, you still can go for all the great Preds games. You can go for all the great college football that's left. Titans go for the games. World Cup stuff that's in the afternoon. Go for the World Cup afternoon stuff. So go check it all out. Uh, of course, uh, go to Jasper's. Uh, Steve, where can people sign up for good news? 
They can sign up at NashvilleBanner.com. Give us your email. We'll give you some news. There you have it. Steve Cavendish, thanks for hanging out. My name is Braden Gall. Thanks for listening. Rate, review, subscribe, share the show. Tell everybody about Landstream Sports. We do appreciate you hanging out, and we appreciate John Talty as well. Thanks for listening. This has been Landstream Sports here on the 440 Sports Network.